0: Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All Is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. I'm going to get to what I spoke concerning at the latter part of the previous program, but before I do, and that's pertaining to murder, the death penalty, the courts, the Roman Catholic Vatican, the papacy. But before I do, I've commented time and again about the other superpowers in this world, being Putin's Russian Federation and communist China, the communist regime in mainland China and their cooperation that they have engaged in going back to when it was the good old Soviet Union and Communist China, all the way up to today. Communist China as was true with the former Soviet Union, was widely viewed by so many experts, experts on matters military, matters pertaining to defense and so forth. They were viewed as being grossly inferior to the sophisticated, high-tech military of the United States of America, And even from a technological perspective, inferior to the powers of NATO. But grudgingly, various different experts are finally coming around to recognize the military might that has been built up in these two totalitarian regimes. Whereas the Russian military was referred to as being rusty and dilapidated and unfit and so on and so forth. And the communist Chinese military was written off as merely being an extremely large standing army, but certainly incapable of being a serious opponent for such a phenomenally high-tech, highly developed military as that of the United States of America. Things have changed, and they have not changed overnight. It's just that perceptions have changed overnight, if you will. But the latest in this... (laughs) these developments is concerning the Chinese Navy and their other forces that give them such power as to be able to threaten American naval forces. They have focused very wisely very shrewdly on areas that of armaments and so forth that will permit them to attack the United States of America long before American forces can approach China. No, not with nuclear weapons, even though they have nuclear weapons and delivery systems, but even with so-called conventional weapons, They have focused on these so-called asymmetrical capabilities. So according to the new commander of the United States Indo-Pacific Command, Admiral Philip S. Davidson, quote, China is now capable of controlling the South China Sea in all scenarios short of war with the United States. Oh, well, Uh, breathe a sigh of relief, short of war. But then he goes on to say that by building critical asymmetrical capabilities, including anti-ship missiles, submarine warfare, that, quote, there is no guarantee that the United States would win a future conflict with China, end quote. And that's putting it gently, that's putting it very, very diplomatically. The communist Chinese regime now enjoys what it refers to as anti access capabilities, consisting of state of the art radar, satellites, and missiles that can successfully take out the United States Navy before (laughs) it can get close enough to communist China to strike. But just a taste of things to come here in this soul world superpower that we are. Perhaps you saw... A report or two or three of the tornadoes that have hit Wisconsin. Now, I don't think of Wisconsin as being in the tornado belt. Sure, it is north <laughs> of the tornado belt, but I don't think of it being actively a center of a great deal of tornado activity. Maybe I need to adjust my thinking on that because Texas is listed as the state that is hit by the most tornadoes, and after that, Oklahoma, which I actually think of as being ground zero for tornado activity, and Kansas and Nebraska, and then there's Iowa. Well, now there's Wisconsin, and they were hit by at least eight tornadoes from Wednesday through Thursday, at least eight Little things like tornadoes that can be terribly, terribly deadly. Not to mention all of the massive damage that can be inflicted on structures, but also the human toll that is exacted. I mentioned in the previous program about the shark uh, scare up there in Cape Cod that there have been, you know, a few. I mentioned about the fellow on the paddleboard who uh, had a near miss with a great white shark, of all things. And he was very near the shore, and he didn't see the shark. But just before that, just days before that, there had been a scare because there was a shark attack of a seal very close to shore, right in the same area. So much so that lifeguards temporarily banned swimming and surfing. And then I mentioned to you that just the other day, there was another such incident with a great white shark attacking and devouring a seal. And so there was this halt in swimming activity for an hour, for an hour. It was shut down for one hour. Well, you know, sharks, those dear creatures that they are, uh, there is a whole variety of sharks, but with the exception of the whale shark or something that is misnamed the killer shark or the killer whale, pardon me, with the exception of the whale shark, which is plankton eating and so forth. All of these sharks have certain things in common in terms of their armor plating on their bodies, in terms of their extraordinary swimming and that they are constantly <laughs> forever moving ...and feeding, and in addition to them, and can cover a great deal of territory, but in addition to that, they're amazing jaws and teeth and what have you. And they can swim in very shallow waters. And while they enjoy warm waters, they thrive in cold waters, and they have come up rivers up into freshwater rivers. So they are quite the creatures. And yet, we have laws protecting these predators. These are not mammals. These are not warm-blooded, highly intelligent, sophisticated creatures such as, oh, I don't know, dolphins, porpoises, killer whales, Otters, seals, sea lions, manatees. No, no. Instead, these are killing, devouring machines, cold blooded machines that prey upon all manner of life in the sea. And yet, we have groups dedicated to their preservation well-meaning people dedicated to the preservation of these creatures whose whole purpose in life is to destroy. Not with malice aforethought, but that's just who and what they are. So the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy, which is studying these great white sharks up in the Cape Cod area and in others, They are doing their good work, protecting them. Off the coast of California, it is illegal to kill a shark. You can't do it. (laughs) By all means, don't defend the swimmers. Don't defend the waiters, Don't defend the toddlers. Don't defend the people, the tourists. Instead, defend and protect the sharks. It's brilliant stuff. I mean, it could only happen in this day and age here, not just in the United States of America, but in the Western world, the advanced, knowledgeable, enlightened Western world. I commented previously a couple times now about this tragic fire out in California. There are a couple huge fires that were going on at the same time, but this one, not the Mendocino County one, but this one up by reading and this woman i mentioned her before this executive director of carenet pregnancy center in reading she said the following quote i would think no matter what race what color people are kind deep down i think that compassion and community are at the core of human beings you know, end quote, Uh, the milk of human kindness flows through the veins of every person on the face of this earth, right? Well, Rachel thinks so. Rachel Pillai or Pilly, but and she's a well-meaning woman. I don't question that for a moment, that she's a compassionate, caring, well-meaning person. But So ill-advised. Ah, my. As I mentioned on the previous program, but I'm going to go into more detail, not with regard to the crimes, but with regard to everything else. But I have to refer to these crimes. Between 2006 and 2009, Anthony Kirkland... Attacked, raped, or attempted to rape, brutally murdered, and burned the bodies of Esme Kenny, thirteen years of age; Cassania Crawford, fourteen years of age; Kimya Rollison, twenty-five years of age; and Mary Jo Newton, forty-five years of age. There may have been others. I'm not convinced this is an exhaustive group. But there were the telltale signs of these and if there are others if and or when they're found with these same telltale signs of the bodies being burned then perchance there can be additional names added to this list. All of this destruction was committed by this destroyer after he was released, after having been convicted of the rape and murder, the slaughter of Leona Douglas, 28 years of age, and was imprisoned, but then was released even before he was due to be released. He slaughtered her in 1989. He was released... In 2003, I have a sneaking suspicion there are others that he slaughtered prior to 2006. Concerning the murder of Cassania Crawford, 14 years of age, police suspected that he had done it, but they didn't have proof, and consequently, he continued. Again, in every case, he attacked these girls, these young, young, tender, aged, teenage girls, barely teenage girls, middle school girls, junior high school age girls, and these women attacked them, raped them or attempted to rape them, brutally, torturously murdered them, strangled them slowly or stabbed them to death, and then burned their bodies. Esme, Kenny, he had just finished destroying her before he was caught. He was caught the same day. And so the destruction stopped because he was caught the same day. He did not have opportunity to destroy any others after poor, dear, 13-year-old Esme Kenny. He described how he attacked and murdered her, what she did, and that she begged him to let her live, which, of course, he did not do. It's just not what this fellow does. And yet he finished his appeal, his last words to the jury, by saying, please spare my life. Breathtaking. Oh, but this catch and release really works, doesn't it? Mm. Well, he was convicted. And you see, at the time that he was tried for the murders of these girls, even though one of them... Cassania Crawford was murdered in 2006, the same year as those two women who were 25 and 45. He was tried for those women's murders back in 2010 and convicted. And was he sentenced to die? Was he sentenced to death? After all, he had already been caught and convicted and sentenced for the rape and murder of this other woman back in 89. But no, he was sentenced to life, life in prison. That makes sense. That's fair. That's reasonable. And the prosecutor, Joe Dieters, Joseph Dieters did the unthinkable In this trial, is that he advised the jury that this destroyer was already serving life sentences. And that if they only recommended that he be sentenced to life in prison, it wouldn't add one day, it wouldn't add one single scintilla of punishment to this dear soul for having destroyed these two young girls. Well, the Ohio Supreme Court was going to have none of that. That was outrageous. That was irresponsible and probably criminal behavior by this prosecutor. So, after the jury recommended the death sentence and the judge sentenced Anthony Kirkland, to die for the destruction of these two young girls, the Ohio Supreme Court stepped in valiantly, courageously, and overturned the sentence. They claimed that Prosecutor Joe Dieters made improper statements to the jury and, of course, by extension to the judge, who is hearing all of this, witnessing all of this. So the high and mighty Supreme Court of Ohio claimed that Prosecutor Dieter's statements were improper and substantially prejudicial when he advised the jury that Kirkland was already serving life prison terms for the murders of Kimia Rolison, 25, and Mary Jo Newton, 45. And that if they only recommended life in prison, there would be no punishment of any kind for his vicious murders of Esme Kenny, 13, and Cassania Crawford, 14. Well... Consequently, it had to be retried. And the jury, consisting of half a dozen men, half a dozen women, they recommended the death penalty again. And the judge, the Hamilton County Common Pleas Judge, Patrick Dinglelacher, he sentenced Anthony Kirkland to die, and he said that he did so for extremely egregious criminal conduct and that not being offset by enough mitigating factors in Kirkland's past. So he got to the right conclusion, but what a ridiculously incredible way to get there. Extremely egregious criminal conduct. What is that? <laughs> really? And there not being enough mitigating factors. So in other words, if there had been more mitigating factors for Anthony Kirkland that he could have dreamt up to offset the evils that he did, then, well, then he could, you know, just be sentenced to life. Joe Dieters said a number of things that were good. <laughs> but, he, but even in those things that he said that were good, they're still so lacking, so lacking. So I just have to focus on those for a moment. He said that he must seek the death penalty in killings. So far, so good. Sometimes. Sometimes. For those killings that are the worst of the worst. The others, we just let those go by, (laughs) you know. But for the worst of the worst, and for the worst of the worst criminals, a death sentence was sometimes necessary. It makes me think of these crimes that we've come up with. Not you and I, but our wonderful legislators, our lawmakers have come up with to give especially harsh punishment for murdering police as compared to murdering little girls, you know, but murdering police or especially harsh penalties if it's determined to be a hate crime. You see, if Anthony Kirkland was white, then they would look at his Victims that were black and they could say that was a hate crime. But he's black. And they certainly never see fit to, you know, reverse it and have it be well. He murdered little Esme Kenny, who's white. No, no, that's not a hate crime. But hate crimes are especially, especially grievous. They deserve especially harsh sentences, right? Instead of just looking at the facts, no, we can't go by anything like, God's Word, the Ten Commandments, or the <laughs> the Constitution, or anything like that. instead, we have to dream up these perversions of law. Well, one little kicker in this is that both the prosecutor and the judge are Roman Catholic, okay? So they follow the teachings not of Jesus Christ, not of the Bible. But of the Pope, of the previous Pope, unless the current Pope has vetoed the previous Pope, <laughs> and so forth. Yes. It's the same reason that the founders of this nation did not believe Roman Catholics should hold office. Because they would be beholding to, if you will, they would be obedient to the Roman Catholic Church. But I digress. So, Pope Francis, he came out with a new catechism, number 2267, that's 2267, prior to this latest trial, but it was released immediately before the sentencing. And in this teaching, this... Infallibly correct, holier than thou, grandpapa, the Pope, he declared that the previous Roman Catholic policy is outdated. Okay, so even though God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, here, The previous catechism concerning death penalty is outdated. And you know what? I'd say I'm okay with that. Because the doctrines and dogmas and catechisms of the Roman Catholic Church are so completely fatally flawed and unbiblical and heretical and apostate that I'm okay with that. (laughs) But it nonetheless, it undermines his authority. He's saying, nope. That catechism from a previous pope, that doesn't hold anymore. But my catechism, that everybody has to bow down to and slavishly follow. That doesn't work so well. But anyway, the previous catechism said that the church did not exclude recourse to capital punishment if it is the only possible way of effectively defending human lives against the unjust aggressor, as they put it. Well, he says that policy is outdated. There are other ways, new ways, to protect the common good and that the church, the Holy Roman Church, should instead commit itself or herself, as he puts it, to working to end capital punishment. Not to working to end the monstrous, murderous destruction of the innocents or the rape of young people by Catholic priests and bishops and cardinals and popes but instead to end capital punishment. Quote, he says, the church, that is, (laughs) let me break in, that is the Pope, the Pope, not the church, the Pope, teaches in the light of, and this is Pope Francis, teaches in the light of the gospel, no, no, not enlightened by the gospel, but in opposition to the gospel, the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person, of the persons of these vicious, ruthless, sadistic, satanic, monstrous murderers. It's an attack on their inviolability and dignity. These who seek to attack and destroy the innocents. It's amazing the perspective, the view of the Pope and therefore the church, the Roman Catholic abomination. Now I'm not saying abomination with regard to those billion plus people enslaved by Catholicism, but, It's an attack. Death penalty is an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person of the murderers. No. Murder is. Murder is. The destruction of these innocents. And some of them, of course, all of them sinful because these aren't preborn babies. These aren't innocent, totally sinless, preborn. Babies, these are instead children, young people, young adults, young mothers, mothers, adults. Right? So they're not sinless. Unlike the Pope. No. Murder. The murderous, torturous destruction of these girls and these young women and these women. That is an attack On their dignity, but on much more than that. Francis has in the past denounced the death penalty, insisting it can never be justified, no matter how heinous the crime. And he has now, of course, declared it inadmissible in all cases. This, despite the fact that that is diametrically contrary to the Word of God. But the Grand Papa, instead of standing for the defense of, the protection of, girls and young women and young mothers and mothers from these destroyers. Instead, he makes himself and the Vatican and the Roman Catholic Church accessories after the fact to these vicious crimes and enablers of Other such crimes, as do the defense attorneys and judges and jurors who side with the destroyers. Well, Joe Dieters said the following. He said quote, "My dear friends who are priests, don't understand what we're dealing with. There is evil in this world, and there comes a point where society needs to defend itself. End quote. He went on to say, Kirkland would kill again if he got the chance. Well, Dieters gets it. Concerning the fact of these evil, monstrous destroyers that are out there and that commit these heinous crimes that prey upon the innocent. What he doesn't get is the necessity to execute all of these murderers, these destroyers, not just the very, very, very most extreme. Not just Ted Bundy and Anthony Kirkland and Charles Manson. But Paul Mueller, who grew up with Joe Dieters, they went to school together, he is the vice director and superior the terribly inferior superior of the Jesuit community at the Vatican Observatory outside of Rome. And he, from his high and mighty lofty perch, he ordered prosecutor Dieters to stick to prosecuting and to go to confession for defying the pontiff. Defense attorney, lead defense attorney, Rich Wendell, of course, argued for life in prison for Kirkland, even though Kirkland, as he knew only too well, was already serving life in prison for the murder of these other two women. Contrary to what so many would have us believe, courts and whenever you hear a decision from the court from the United States Supreme Court from the Ohio Supreme Court from an appellate court whenever you hear that term courts you have to immediately recognize It is the justices, the judges, the unjust justices, the unjust judges, and those that are not as bad. But it's the judges, these inviolate courts, are in fact judges, comprised of sinful, blind, ignorant, foolish people, at the best, And in so very, very, very many cases, wicked, corrupt, downright evil people. And so many of them get to enjoy being high and mighty judges for life. But they deliver verdicts in some cases, in others they don't. And the juries deliver them. But they... Sentence, punishments, penalties. They do not actually determine what is true, what is false, what is constitutional, even, nor who is guilty or innocent. They can, in fact, and they often do, preclude absolutely vital information from being heard so that a courageous prosecutor like Joe Dieters needs to share with the jury that this destroyer is already serving life sentences for murders. But by and large, The courts of justices and judges commit grievous miscarriages of justice, perverting righteous judgment and justice, rewarding the evil, punishing the good, and the ultimate, bringing God's fearful judgment upon the entire nation of people in which they judge. Perhaps you've seen all manner talk concerning the Bitcoin. Yes, I'm getting over to the Bitcoin, but before I do, let me say I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever's right about this program, and good, and true, and accurate, is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ, and His Holy Spirit, and His Holy Word. Whatever's wrong, that's due to me. But the Bitcoin, oh yes, the cryptocurrencies, uh, or as I would say, these fake sham currencies. But nonetheless, these cryptocurrencies, the latest thing with them now is that the passwords to these stores of wealth, (laughs) of cryptocurrencies are now being stored, in some cases, in DNA, in synthetic DNA. The reason for that is that, (laughs) that if these passwords are lost irretrievably, then the people that have spent however much on their cryptocurrencies... They're out all of that. They lose all of that. Or if somebody else gets a hold of these passwords and pilfers those banks of cryptocurrencies, again, they lose out on all of this wealth. Well, what I find fascinating about this, really, is that it is one more step in fulfillment of some things that have been said and written in times past, long ago, and which are truly being fulfilled at this time. I saw something here just a little bit ago. And it said that the so-called business of equality, the business of equality is, quote, one of the most important ethical issues that businesses today need to face. Creating and maintaining a diverse and inclusive workforce. Right? Not an honorable, honest, capable, proficient workforce. Not a deserving Workforce, or any other (laughs) terms you may care to use, but instead creating and maintaining a diverse and inclusive workforce. That is one of the most important ethical business issues of today. Well, To which I say, (laughs) are you kidding? Really? I remember when I first came across the great uh, cause celeb of depth and diversity. It was the catchphrase for the sodomite activists that I had regular contact with in a broadcast environment back at the time that, Bill Clinton and Hillary Rodham Clinton and Albert Arnold Gore Jr. came to power in Washington, and I was outnumbered by these activists, all about a hundred to one and uh but anyway, one of their their great battle cries was depth and diversity to which I responded dearth and perversity. Because that's what it is. It's ironic there are people that have been seduced into becoming diversity specialists, diversity trainers, and so on and so forth, and who have now gotten in trouble for (laughs) not embracing the sodomite agenda, not seeing that that is really underlying all of this. I mean, it was, you know, back in 1992. This is not something new, but you see the cloak over all of that, over that true agenda. The smoke screen was, it was all about race and women. Okay, so as long as women were championed and the numbers of women in these positions and in all of the different levels and strata of positions throughout society, including in areas of endeavor, that were supposed to be focused on defense of this nation and defense of women and children. But until all of these walks of life, all of these areas of endeavor, all of these careers were permeated pervasively enough by the appropriately proportional representation of women, then, needless to say, there wasn't sufficient diversity. And until there was the right mix of blacks to whites, there wouldn't be adequate diversity leaving aside all of the other races, but that's what diversity was. And lo and behold, we have finally gotten to the nexus. We have finally gotten to the quick of what this diversity is all about, and which I was speaking against back in 92 and 93, (laughs) It is the sodomite agenda. It is the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer agenda that must be foisted upon every area within this nation. including every expression of the church that has not been apostate and perverse and corrupt and a corrupter and subverter and perverter of all things true. Up until now, they must be compromised. They must be forced to capitulate and to employ these. Just as InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at University of Iowa was required to allow leadership to be taken over by non-Christians by the University of Iowa, or lose its accreditation be booted from the campus, which is what took place. As I mentioned in a previous program some time ago, once upon a time long ago, I was going to enter law school yet again, belatedly, and I was seeking employment, and because of where I was, I happened to check on employment with an organization that you've probably heard of, And that is the Christian Coalition. And I was filling out the application. And I got to the end of the application. I got to the Equal Employment Opportunity Statement. And I gagged. This was back in 1999. All right? So this was... 19 years ago, and lo and behold, and this was at Regents University, that campus, CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network, so on and so forth, and that equal opportunity statement, equal employment opportunity statement, voluntarily entered into by the Christian Coalition stated something to the effect that employment with them was separate from, not affected by sexuality, the gender, and the sexual behavior. Now, that's, those are not the words that are used but that's the gist of it not only <laughs> there was no religious test <laughs> okay but in addition to that so it wasn't dependent on nor would be denied because of religious belief or lack thereof but also so-called sexual orientation Now, they had not gotten to the extreme of gender identity yet. Okay? It hadn't gone that far yet. But that was 19 years ago. And I, who happened to really need employment, I stupidly responded the way that I do. I went ahead and I wrote on my application that I had, that even though I had been living, working in the greater Washington, D.C. area prior to that, I had never seen as leftist an equal employment opportunity statement as the one that the vaunted Christian coalition had. I never had. They were voluntarily capitulating. I just found that fascinating because... The Christian Coalition was just made out to be so terribly conservative, arch conservative, right? Not only Christian, but so so politically staunchly conservative, family values all the way. And here they were welcoming, opening their arms to Sodomites to work there. Okay, ah, uh, just. Breathtaking, but anyway. (laughs) And on it goes. So now, the most, or one of the most important ethical issues in businesses, for businesses, is creating and maintaining a diverse and inclusive workforce. Again, not stopping at the matter of there being some proportional representation of races and male and female, but instead the promotion, the aggressive, aggressive promotion of the sodomite agenda. That being forced upon the American nation, the businesses, the churches, the families. If we are so ignorant, if we are so foolish that we imagine that this will pass, muster, this will stand, that this will not come under condemnation as, in fact, failing to execute the monstrous destroyers of the innocents, then we are deceived indeed. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Thank you.